0: All right, we're back. It's Friday, which means my man, J.M. To Win from one-week season is here to help us crack this week four GPP slate. We're going to look at some of his favorite building blocks, how to build the best possible lineups on DraftKings to thrust us to the top of the leaderboard. Let's do it. I suffer from a debilitating condition known as atropic shockitis.
1: Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the.
0: Let's go, let's go. I got auto-matched with Levitan. This is bullshit. If I just go the other way, in that 66, I win all the money, all the money. If I had 150 lineups, I'd win too. Process over results. Illuminati make a bitch go crazy. I don't know which one of these my baby. Bust out AP, cold by bullets to your head like KD. Bust it, bust it, bitch go bust go. And I had 10 pints with me and rush Hey everyone. Uh-oh, J.M., you you are feeling the heightening pressure. What what are we, what are we wearing today here?
1: So uh, last year, William got to choose our Halloween outfits for the first time. He chose Trash Truck, which is a Netflix uh, kids show. I got to be Donnie the raccoon, and he was Walter the bear. So I got the raccoon outfit. This is the last outfit of the season. Uh, Pete, I tried to find something pickleball worthy for you, but uh, I didn't have anything on hand, so... We got the raccoon outfit. It'll last for about five minutes and then uh, we'll, we'll get serious.
0: That's the one that you've been, you've done a great job planning these bits. As they say in the comedian uh, business, you haven't been committing to the bits of these outfits for much longer than about four to five minutes.
1: No, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's definitely, <laughs> I can't sit here through the whole show. The, the wolf sweater made it all the way through, but that's about the max that I can do on these. Next week we get real serious and, and we just go straight, straight normal clothes.
0: There you go. Maybe I'll have to pick up the slack. And uh, Ooh, my, my I costume. like it. I like
1: there it. There you go.
0: Um, awesome. Yes. Uh, What was I going to say? I was completely forgetting. Oh, real quick. One thing off of the rip. I know uh, lots of people always wondering about the DraftKings rake-free League for our Deposit Kingdom Discord. I bumped it up to 350 this week. We're at 325 of 350. So literally only 25 spots left up for grabs. Um, I post this in the Discord on Tuesdays. It's in the announcement section. You can head there right now. 25 spots left. That's the last time I'm going to say it. It's going to be filled by the end of the show. So go get it if you want it jam how was your uh, week 3 it was uh, it was fairly rough for me
1: <laughs> it was profitable and profits profit right you'll take that and uh move on but yeah i had um profit was in props and then i had mm-hmm. i got bounced out of the out of the money in the game changer with like under 2 minutes left in the late games which you know interestingly that's one of those things i talk about this a lot but if you're finishing on the cut line you really do need to assess your process and see if you're building poorly not you can't just look at that and say I'm building well, right? Like if I'm finishing in last place, I'm more certain that I'm building well than if I'm finishing on the cut line. But it was a good roster. It was um, it was a Jalen Hurts, AJ Brown, Miles Sanders build. Curtis Samuel bring back, and I'd actually messed around with flipping Curtis Samuel, Miles Sanders over to J.D. McKissick, Devonta Smith, which obviously would have made a, a big difference there. But um, but yeah, it was a good week and felt good about the process and and picked up some nice money on props. So um, back-to-back profitable weeks, kind of keep, keep the train moving and keep moving forward from there.
0: So what you're trying to say, Jam, is you were a two V two away from winning all the money, all the saying. money, all the money. <laughs> as long
1: as you're always a two V two away, then you know, that you're yeah. everything right. Exactly.
0: I think I was a true six V six away, uh, away last week there. Um, uh, such a bummer getting teased by Kyle Pitts there. Again, that first half looked like it was going to be so good. And then, uh, of course it, it peters out there again.
1: That's Kyle Pitts for you. That's it gonna be sure, the story of his
0: career. Oh God! Please, Jam. Please don't don't put that out. I mean, you you wrote. I mean, we're gonna get into the specifics of the slate and stuff, so we can table the conversation about this Cleveland Atlanta game. Though that's pretty interesting. Let's check in the chat. Everyone's excited for the Friday. Jacob says, "Loving these Friday streams makes the Friday workday move a little faster." That's what I like to hear. We will get you through this work day. Uh, Willis does want you to do my trash can bit, uh, and jump out of the trash can. I don't know if JM would debase himself to that level.
1: I think I'm <laughs> done with the outfits. I think, we're, <laughs> I think we're on a straight track now.
0: Um, so any, any other things stand out to you from week three, takeaways, um, things we should be kind of folding into our process now that we have three full weeks of data under our belts?
1: I mean, I think there's a lot. I think the biggest thing we see, though, is just the perpetual overreactions. We talked about it last week about Irv Smith. If he hadn't scored that touchdown on Monday Night Football, would he have been chalk last week, right? It's just that DraftKings score looks so good. And it's Friday. Ownership projections are going to develop and change throughout the weekend. But early on, it's looking like Zay Jones chalk. It's looking like uh, Josh Reynolds chalk. It's looking like you know guys who had nice games last week. Oh, well, of course, they're going to have good games this week. And so one of the things that I'm always wanting to look at early in the season is what are these teams saying? What are these coaches saying? How are they developing their game plans and, and how are they approaching each game? And I think that there's a lot that we can pick up there that helps us recognize places where we can move kind of differently than the field. You know, there are players we're going to talk about in this show, I'm sure, but let's take Jamal Williams, for example, very sharp on paper play. And if you're playing cash games, why overthink things? But Jamal Williams, the, the two games that DeAndre Swift missed last year and Jamal Williams played, he got both games under 50% of the snaps. He had 18 and 19 touches, which is pretty, pretty solid, right? Even at that lower snap rate, but he's priced right next to AJ Dillon, who in this game against the Patriots they their double digit favorites is probably getting 15 to 18 touches. So you're talking about like, Oh, let's let's take high ownership on Jamal Williams at 18 touches versus low ownership on A.J. Dillon at 18 touches. And 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 you know, and again, we're just talking about what makes us the most money over time. This is nothing to do with the plays. Jamal Williams is a sharp play on paper. And in cash games, he's the best play, right? It's just, why overthink it? Just go there. But there's so many little edges where everybody kind of flocks to what is new or what makes sense that week. Dave Njoku, second best game of his career. Everybody's on him this week more than likely. Right? And so we can kind of find these spots where it's like, if the score had been different last week, would everybody still be on these plays? So that's the main thing I'm seeing. And then I'm sure we'll get to other things throughout today's show, but just a lot of things from like a coaching and team standpoint that can help us get a better sense of how these teams want to approach things this week and where we might be able to find spots where everybody's down on the spots or up on the spots. um, And we can kind of get, get an edge as a result.
0: For sure. Yeah. And I definitely want to dive into the Jamal Williams stuff too, because it, it, I, I had the same feeling where I know that I default to just wanting to kind of fade mega chalk. And then sometimes right. I have to check myself, like, is this the quote unquote free square? But when I look at it from just a pure points per dollar standpoint, like he's not actually separating from some of those other guys in the way we sometimes used to see a 5k running back pop up. And it's just like, you just got to eat this spot, so I do think Jamal Williams is a is an interesting one for this week. As far as is it chalk, you have to eat.
1: Yeah, and well, let's talk. Let's talk too about like the DFS industry as a whole, right? It's been a lot of the same bigger voices for the last five, six, seven years, and there's a lot of you know DFS growth kind of slowed for a little bit, so not as many new players coming in, and so we have a lot of ideas that have kind of congealed. And we forget that DraftKings A, didn't used to price up backup running backs as aggressively, and B, the minimum price for running backs used to be 3K, not 4K. And so we have this habit formed from all these years where a running back would be out, the backup running back is 3,300, 3,600, 4,200, whatever it is, and they're just such a smash play. But now we still have that same pattern of behavior Jamal Williams is stepping in. Okay, you've got to play him, but he's 6,100, right? And so it just, it's a totally different story than what we had in the past. And again, like range of outcomes, there are 30 point games in Jamal Williams range of outcomes very clearly. And you could fade him in tournaments and he could hit and you're just like, well, I didn't win money this week. But over time, kind of moving away from those guys where everybody just kind of auto clicks these buttons because it just makes sense on the surface, we do gain a big edge. And so, yeah, that's one that, uh, like if I lose because Jamal Williams hits this week, I'm okay with it. Uh, just because there are other places that we can go, you know, Cordero Patterson's priced 400 more. He's going to have probably sub 10% ownership because no one ever wants to play him. Probably going to see 18 to 22, 23 touches in a good spot in a good game environment, a good matchup. Um, you know, a lot of other guys we will we, we'll probably get to you throughout the show, but yeah, it's just an interesting week where we can kind of move opposite the field in some places. And it's the same thing, right? everybody's personality is different. Some people, their personality is like, whatever is the most comfortable, they want to go to that. Other people, I think you and I are similar in this. It's like, our natural tendency is to assume that what everybody is thinking is wrong. And then we want to move a different direction. And so you have to like, find that balance to be able to rein that in and and actually examine each individual spot. But also when you see a spot where you're like, well, yes, if I break it down, this has less expected value than the field is thinking. And then the ownership will say that it has, you just have to be willing to move away from it and not be afraid if that guy hits.
0: Yeah. Actually, how do you like pulling back from this situation with the lions, particularly with Amon Ross St. Brown ruled out, but just more generally, how do you view a situation like this, where this game environment did set up to be one of the better games, fast paced? the total was there. Then you remove Amon Ross St. Brown from the equation I think it's kind of interesting that NFL lines still aren't moving when these stud-wide receivers don't play in the same way You know, a quarterback would shift the line a decent a bit. Does Amon Ra being removed from this game temper your enthusiasm for, for shootout potential? I'm just curious how you think through that. Obviously, you have to factor in dynamics of, is the field now going to be scared away from this game because Amon Ra isn't there? Lots of variables, but I'm just wondering how you generally handle a situation like that.
1: First off, I think that the, the line, any line movement was probably starting to be accounted for on Wednesday. On Wednesday, Dan Campbell was talking. He was basically lumping in St. Brown and Swift together. And we all didn't expect Swift to play. And so from Wednesday on, it was pretty clear if you were really paying attention to the team that this is probably a week where St. Brown wasn't going to play. And in fact, Dan Campbell said on Wednesday, he said, you know, the, the running backs are all going to have to step up. Uh, Shark and TJ are going to have to have big games. We're going to have a game plan designed around the players who are going to be out there. So from that standpoint, I think that, you know, the line movement that's come after officially St. Brown's not going to play doesn't really tell the full story, but yeah, it, it hasn't moved a ton. The way I'm looking at this is it's always team by team basis and the Lions are going to build their offense around the players they have. Their offense looks the way it looks because Amon Ross St. Brown and DeAndre Swift can do unique, special things. And so they utilize those talents. So this is a week where I've been kind of since Wednesday, I've been looking at it like, okay, I'm assuming these guys aren't playing. How do I think the Lions try to win this game? Well, they might still play with pace just because they have such an aggressive nature. Uh, I posted in the NFL Edge in that in my DFS interpretations for that game. Uh, route charts of TJ Hawkinson last year and Amon Ross St. Brown, like the end of last year and started of this year, they have very like a lot of overlap in the responsibilities that they have on the field. So I would expect not, not to say TJ Hawkinson comes out and gets 11, 12 targets, or that they end up running the same offense, but more that who's going to take on that role, probably Hawkinson. And that might be six targets, might be eight targets. We'll see what it is. And then I think they're going to run the ball a little bit more this week. I think Craig Reynolds is going to be more involved than people think, obviously, because, yeah. If Jamal Williams sees 60% of the snaps, uh, you know, uh, Campbell mentioned uh, Justin Jackson as well, but we should expect that Craig Reynolds is the guy who's actually going to step in for 30, 35% of the snaps. Not that he becomes playable, but that he sees like eight, 10 touches, something like that eats into Jamal Williams work and they probably run the ball a little bit more. And then on the other side, I mean, Geno Smith, let's say this, he started six games since the start of last year. Do you know how many times he's topped 209 passing yards? once and it was last week and his prop for his over under for passing yards this week started at 223 and then got bet up to 250 and it's like well we know that seattle likes to play for the fourth quarter if you pay attention in seattle pete carroll talks about it week in and week out oh if the game's close in the fourth quarter we'll win it and that's his whole strategy is just keep the game close win in the fourth quarter And so we shouldn't see, you know, they are more pass leaning this year because they kind of have to be. Teams are stacking the box a little bit more. They have to say, hey, we can pass. We have to prove that to you. But against this Lions run defense, I just kind of think we see a game where Seattle says, hey, let's pound the ball. Let's take a lead. Let's try to assert control over this game or let's keep it close. And where the Lions, they're, they're aggressive by nature. They're going to take some shots downfield. They're going to try to move the ball. But I think we're going to see a little more run heavy this week. So for me, it sort of, sort of shifts the whole way you look at this game and the way you attack players in this game as a result. And it's, it's an edge because the field isn't able to adjust as quickly. And in fact, you know, I talked to, I won't say who it, who it is, but um, it's one of like the big projection systems that for a couple of years in a row, they were like trying to see if I had availability on Saturdays, because what they said was like, we can't account in projections for things like this. And so what we want to do is just like be able to bounce some ideas off you, ask you some questions, say like, with this player being injured, what do you think this means? With this player being injured, what do you think this means? And so much of our sharpest competition relies on projections because they understand just the math behind the projections, the ownership, the upside, all that. And so understanding these spots a little bit better gives us an edge over time. And maybe it doesn't play out in our favor this week, but this is a spot that I really like shaping up this way just because it definitely gives us edge this week.
0: Yeah, and this kind of dovetails with two things. One on this game, you know, Geno Smith and Jared Goff and this idea of can you play cheap quarterbacks in this landscape of the NFL where Hurts Allen and Lamar Jackson are separating so much from the field. You look at any projection system, their ceiling projection is going to have a five, six point gap till the next closest group. We had uh, our guy Dave here in the chat earlier asking some of our favorite lower owned QB plays. I mean, the field is going to play Hurts, Allen Jackson. They are the quote unquote best place. How are you thinking about this dynamic? Because this narrative is continuing to get more and more entrenched that there's just a chasm between these elite quarterbacks and some of these other guys.
1: I talked about this on the angles podcast today, but one of the interesting aspects of these high priced quarterbacks Is that in terms of point per dollar production, they're actually the most underpriced players at any position. So if we took just like week one salaries on these high priced quarterbacks and compared them to per game production last year, the Herberts, the Mahomes, the Allens, these guys were actually the most underpriced. And so, yeah, like the you every week you can find, or almost every week, you can find one of these five to 6K quarterbacks who has better point per dollar production than the top quarterbacks, but it's a, you're threading a thin needle. You're choosing them on like five, six, seven, eight, nine guys, and you've got to get the right guy. And then you still probably aren't getting more raw points. And so, you know, the, the great thing too, with these expensive guys is you look through Josh Allen's game logs last year, there are plenty of 18 point 22, 24 point games. And so that the fact that they're still hitting such high point per dollar production means that their spike tweaks are so much higher that it just like, it's hard to keep up with these quarterbacks. And I think that this week with value being thin, I think we will see, well, value being thin and these attractive game totals on these cheaper quarterbacks, Goff and Geno and Mariota and Brissett, I think we will see people gravitating toward those quarterbacks, obviously, Ownership at quarterback gets spread out, but I think we'll see a decent amount of ownership on these cheaper guys, which creates a nice little edge to go up to these higher priced guys. So yeah, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, uh, Lamar Jackson, those guys are all like top of the board for me this week and um, very much where I expect to go at this point.
0: Yeah, and it is interesting because I think, you know, marquee matchup on paper, when you look at the over-under, you are getting Josh Allen versus Lamar Jackson, both priced within 100 of each other, very similar ceiling projection. Does look like Allen is going to catch a bit more ownership. At least that's how things are shaking up now. I do feel like a little bit with the Eagles specifically too, Last week, I believe, was it last week where they kind of projected as chalk, Hertz projected as chalk, but then AJ Brown and Devonta Smith come in pretty low ownership. Cause I always just assume the chalk quarterback is going to pull along some ownership with his top wide receivers. That wasn't the case. And so now I feel like that's kind of the riddle for me this week with Hertz, Allen Jackson is which one of those best play quarterbacks doesn't, you know, pull along the ownership or which one of their pass catchers kind of fly under the radar because I feel like one of those pass catching groups will go a little bit overlooked.
1: Yeah. Right now, Devonte Smith and, and AJ Brown are coming in at low ownership and hurts at high ownership. Again, it's an interesting dynamic. And I think that sometimes people, they they think, well, rather than trying to guess which pass catcher to pair with my running quarterback, I'll just take the running quarterback. But as Zandermeer pointed out in, in one of our inner circle pods last season, it's very rare that one of these, quarterbacks hits a ceiling game without bringing at least one pass catcher with them. Even even with their rushing upside. Now Hurts is a little different cuz he can truly have like those two rushing touchdown games and not throw any through the air. But generally speaking, you're they're going to bring at least one pass catcher with them. So then the thinking is like, "Yeah, but you you don't know which pass catcher it'll be. You have to guess." But then you think about in the tournament you're playing in, somebody has Hertz and the right pass catcher. Somebody has Josh Allen and the right pass catcher and you still have to compete against them without the right pass catcher. So yeah, to me, the, you always still want to find, you know, you're probably not double stacking these running quarterbacks as much like the quarterback and two pass catchers, but finding that, that one pass catcher and getting the right guy or even, you know, Devonta Smith and, and, AJ Brown and Hertz, they've averaged 67.1 combined points this year. Like, that's incredible at, at a salary cap, a combined salary of 21.4K. They combined for 84 points last week, which was 4X their salary this week. So, even with Hurts rushing upside, I know he rushed for 20 yards last week, but even with his rushing upside, he can bring two pass catchers with him. But if you just pick one, right, and you get the right guy, you're sitting pretty in tournaments. And, and I think you can do that with any of these guys. The great thing about Lamar is, is Mark Andrews is pretty clearly the guy to pair him with most weeks. Uh, Whereas Josh Allen and, and hurts you have to guess a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like Mark Andrews is going to be fairly popular. Rashad Bateman looks a a little sneaky right now coming off of a down week. One other thing, the chat mentioning too weather scaring this uh, people away. I just did check in on, on Kevin Roth who does those early weather reports over on Roto grinders, has it at 20 mile per hour, wind stronger gusts chance for rain. Um, there, there's so many interesting moving parts on this slate because once you remove Amon Ross St. Brown, I would assume the field would want to funnel even heavier to this Buffalo-Baltimore game. And yet with the weather concerns, Gabe Davis questionable tag, it makes me feel like there's even uncertainty from a field perspective here as well.
1: And you feel like while they keep hitting, they can't keep hitting, right? So like now I feel like a fish for going back to this. <laughs> these quarterbacks who keep putting up 30 points. And what if I pay up for them and they end up putting up you, know, you always had that thought on Kelsey. What if I pay 7.6K for this tight end and he has one of his 14-point games, right? But then also, what if he hits one of his 30-pointers? And, and I think that that's kind of the thought, too, is, yeah, but what if I pay up and they, and they disappoint and there's all these cheap quarterbacks who are available? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting setup. I think the weather is definitely going to be a factor and something that these teams have been talking about since you know the early part of the week, just because of the way that that storm can shape up in the Northeast this week. Um, and then, you know, a couple of days ago, weather reports were looking okay. So I don't tend to worry about that too much till we get to like Saturday and can really get a good sense of things. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's going to make a difference this week as well.
0: I want to, I want to pull back just a little bit before we, we, we're already diving in uh, because we can't help ourselves, but I I think I had a question come across somewhere and they were asking, you know, when are you updating your stuff? Like looking at updated projections, updated ownership, when are you building your lineups in this process? And I was curious, what, what is the JM process as far as how that unfolds? Obviously you got to prep yourself for writing content. You got to be on top of it so you can get those thoughts out, but for your own lineup building. You know, is it, is it after an actives you're doing a final sweep through, are you double checking projections after an actives? I'm kind of curious, like when you are actually building your lineups.
1: So I've never been a heavy projections user just because my understand like my understanding of a specific game or whatever is always going to either line up with projections or where it's different. I'm going to feel like there's a reason why my take on that game is different right so projections are not going to be something i'm like sweeping through at the last minute uh typically ownership projections on saturday nights gives me like a very clear picture of where things are likeliest to go and so i'm less concerned because i'm not playing like 150 lineups so i'm playing 150 lineups i'd be more concerned with these specific numbers right this guy being seven percent owned versus ten percent owned might make a big difference in my allocation but as kind of a limited entry player, what I need to know is who's popular and who's unpopular. And so I can get a very good sense of that by Saturday night. And so a lot of times what I'm doing is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm, I'm going through all the games kind of multiple times and getting a sense of how these games could play out. I'm watching every coach press conference, every quarterback press conference. I'm reading as much as I can. Wednesday, I'm digging into kind of advanced stats and, and getting a better sense of these games. Thursday, I read the NFL edge and then write up my interpretations off of like all my thoughts to that point and any additional research I want to look up after reading the edge. And all along the way, I'm building what I call practice builds, which so far this season, each week I've had between 60 and 80 rosters that I'm not putting into play. And Levitan used to ask me, he's like, yeah, but what if one of these is the nuts? And Mm -hmm. you just like left it on the sidelines. But none of these are going to be the nuts because I'm not actually building for First place in a tournament with these rosters so much as i'm getting a sense of how pieces fit together so i treat it kind of like a slide puzzle as in like there might be six pieces that just stay the same across 10 practice builds and i'm getting a sense of like okay what's available in this range of salaries at this point and how can i push things around here and then it i'll start with like a different stack or a different game and and a lot of times it's games that i'm not going to build around like i might force myself to build around the, the Jets and Steelers, right? And it's like, I'm not actually going to put a Jets Steelers stack into play, but from that starting point, what does the rest of my roster look like? And then you can kind of get a sense of, you know, people always ask, well, where should I start my rosters? And this kind of takes away that problem because you're, you're kind of messing around with the back end of the roster a lot because you get your starting point, kind of leave it in place, and then you're messing around with the back end of the roster. So then you kind of get a better sense across the board of, okay, here's where the value is here's where the field is going to be going. And, and here's where the slate is pointing me. And the most, as much as possible, I I've brought this up a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, but uh, Joe Burrow was asked a couple of weeks ago about getting targets to individual players. And he said, I don't think like that. I, I throw where the defense tells me to throw. And I, I think that we should take that same mindset with DFS. We're not trying to pick which players we want to play. We let the slate tell us where to go. And part of that's, how the slate sets up part of that's how everybody else is going to be thinking through the slate and how we can think through the slate part of that's ownership projections. So then it gets me to Saturday night and I have like a very good handle on the slate and whether I'm building, you know, a few years ago, I was doing what I called mini multi-entry where it'd be like 14 to 19 rosters. And they would all try to layer in together and I'd have my notebook and kind of map out my uh, exposures that I wanted and how all of these pieces fit together. And it's like, okay, I'm betting heavy on this, on this offense. So I want to hedge by betting on these players on this offense, on a few rosters. And and then if it's limited entry, like three, four rosters, easy to get to Saturday night and just say, okay, I have a sense of what I'm doing and kind of the pieces start falling into place from there. But uh, and then that's where I really get into ownership projection so that it can point me in the right directions of how to give myself a clear path to first place.
0: So the issue I've had with that style, and I'm curious on how you fight against this, is I definitely get anchored to some of those early builds. And you, it feels so comfy, the pieces come together. And then what I would find sometimes is when new information would arise, whether that was another play popping up because of inactives, whether seeing um, ownership steam, that I would have a hard time parting with that. And so I was always like, I kind of wanted to have this men in black, you know, erase my memory and look at the slate anew. On the other hand, I found myself scrambling a little bit more this year on Sundays, partly because I'm busy, but also because I don't think I have put in the time like you have of getting all those pieces and understanding it. So I guess, how do you fight that kind of anchoring bias to some of those early builds while also, you know, taking in new information?
1: That's a great question. So the way that I judge things is if I'm scared to move off of a player, then that's probably a player I should be willing to move off of. If I'm like, Hmm. oh, but if I move off this guy and he hits, I'm going to be so disappointed. Typically the guys, it's the guys who we talked about this last week with like, Thielen on that, on our practice building. It's like, Thielen's the guy that you're like, and I want to move off this guy, right? Like he's the first guy you want to move off of. And typically that's the guy you want to stay on, right? The reason, like I I spent 10 minutes last week with the Devonta Smith, JD McKissick instead of Curtis Samuel, Miles Sanders 10 minutes, right? Because in those 10 minutes, I was like, yeah, but I don't want to play Devonta Smith. Like I wasn't scared to not play him. When I moved off of him, it felt cozy and comfortable to move off of him. And a lot of times it's those guys that you're kind of scared to stick on that are the ones you really need to stick on. It's not the guys that you're like, oh man, I can't move off this guy. Like the more convinced that you are that a guy's going to have a big game, the more you're probably not seeing all the angles that can lead to that guy having a, a disappointing game. So I think that there's, for me, there's a pattern in my thinking where anytime it's a guy that I'm just like really clinging tightly to, that's a guy i should probably move off of and in fact any time ever where i've found myself saying okay no matter what i'm playing this guy that's the moment when i'm like okay I, I probably have to consider not playing him and at least build some rosters without him but yeah it's it's you know you're going to have hits and misses and you're going to have guys you move off of or guys you stay on but the more prepared you are and the better handle you have on the slate the more comfortable you feel and then also Then you can get to that point where everything's flexible up to kickoff. Everything's flexible off to late kickoff where you can say, oh, Thomas Rawls is starting at running back for the Seahawks. You know, like he wasn't in my player pool, but let me swap over to him because this just is the sharp way to do things. And so you have to have that flexibility. But if you have a good handle on the slate, it's easier to have that flexibility because you kind of know where to move other pieces
0: around from there. For sure. I think that was – that, that definitely clicked for me too. Cause I was using the example, like part of how I approach things like it helped me get on a play. I can't even remember now if it was last week or two weeks ago, but when Brashad Perriman opened up at the last minute and, you know, Richie James had was shaping up to kind of being the chalk. And I was able to kind of clearly look like, Hey, Perriman projects similar, similar price point. And now I'm going to get a guy that I don't think the field's going to play because It came in at the last minute, but that doesn't mean you can't be practicing around and noticing I have this build that requires a sub four K wide receiver to be unlocked. And then you're ready to make that move. And I think I need to get a little bit better about trying to put those pieces together in advance and then kind of mixing and matching. Cause I'm just, I don't feel when I'm going to actually build that I'm leaving myself enough time. I haven't discovered all the dead ends that it sounds like you run into a little earlier in the week.
1: Yeah. And again, I call it making the slate flexible for yourself. So if the, if the slate's real brittle where you're like, I don't really know where to go without breaking things, it makes it harder. And the more you kind of get your hands in there with the slate, the easier it becomes. And obviously there's like, if you're listening to this, there's an element of like, oh, well, JM does this for a living. So he has a lot more time for this. Right. But like my first year in DFS, I was still doing freelance writing, which again, that's a little bit more flexible, but there's this, there's an availability in your mind when you're showering, when you're on the go, like before I had all this content responsibility, Abby and I would travel all the time during football season. And we'd be taking a trip to Denver, taking a trip to wherever we'd be out hiking. And I'm like, I've played around the slate enough that I know the general price on players and I'm out hiking and like working through the different games and the different combos in my head, you know, like you can just kind of keep this in the back of your head and be working on it in the background and, and just get that sense of, of the flexibility of the slate and have that level of comfort when you go to build.
0: This is a question or a version of the question that I see a lot. Nick asking, when you're doing three to five teams, will you use three to five different QBs or try to center around one QB and his build as different pass catchers around him? I want to get JM's answer, but to me, this dovetails very nicely with what jam was saying about letting the slate come to you and dictate you where i think probably some slates the edge might be the same quarterback in that stack and you want to build around that or sometimes it might be another building block something we're going to get to in a second and then you're mixing and matching quarterbacks around it It, it, do you do you have kind of a a way you view your stacks or your lineups or is it all slate specific
1: yeah everything's different so if i'm i think i think a good example is is this so let's talk about parlay bets right so and this is just a good example of how to equate this thinking over to dfs so this week uh underdog had kirk cousins at 291 passing yards and or 271 passing yards and justin jefferson at 91 receiving yards and justin jefferson if a he's fallen below 91 receiving yards i think like 12 of his last 20 games but whatever that's like a 60 percent bet But in 10 of those games where Justin Jefferson fell short, Kirk Cousins also fell short of 270 yards. So basically this becomes, you combine them, and it's still like one bet. If Justin Jefferson falls short, Kirk Cousins is also falling short. And then you can kind of take that one bet where you're like, okay, I'll bet the under on this and then mix and match the other three pieces in this this five-way parlay because this is like the 50-50 bet. Or in DFS, you could say, hey, I feel really confident about this starting point. It doesn't have to be a stack even, like a quarterback. I feel really comfortable about this running back and this piece and this piece. And some weeks it's three pieces. Some weeks it's five pieces. Some weeks it's two pieces. But you just say, hey, this is going to be on all my rosters. If I'm right, now I'm right on everything. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong on everything, right? But we're playing tournaments. It's all or nothing anyway. So it's like, these are my highest conviction plays. I'm right on this. If I'm right on this, now all my rosters are in good shape. And then I mix and match. other pieces. Other times, you know, I think the building block we're going to talk about today, I'm thinking I'll I'll put four rosters into play this week. I'm not going to have this building block on all four of my rosters, but I will have it on one of my rosters because of the upside that is available on this build, the path to first place that's available on this build. But I don't want to anchor all of my teams to this one plan of attack. So last week, if I'd built five rosters, I might've had Jalen Hurts on all five of them. Uh, This week, I might have Josh Allen on two and Jalen Hurts on one in this building block we're going to talk about on a third one. So every week's a little bit different, but also every week I do want to have some anchor points where it's like, hey, these are the bets I'm placing. And, And I think one more thing to talk about here is those anchor points don't always have to be a player, right? Like a lot of times my big wins have been this game is my anchor point. And I'm going to build around this game in different ways on every roster. And so, if this game hits, no matter what, I'm collecting the the upside that's falling out from this game because I'm I these are the players I like the most. But I also recognize I could be wrong, and so let me hedge with these players or hedge with like this other way this game could play out and still be a positive game environment. So yeah, every week's different, but generally speaking, I want to have some sort of anchor point so I'm not just like firing random darts uh, across three three five different rosters.
0: Yeah. And one thing you had said in one of the past couple of shows we've done was just the, and it sounds like a simple point on the surface, but you can't attack every spot. You can't play every interesting spot because you will get overwhelmed. You'll be pulled in all these directions. And that has been like freeing to me. I have been building Lately, just two main lineups. And then I'll do a couple little 2v2s off of that. We were talking about the Garrett Wilson or Elijah Moore, where it is kind of like I'll play whichever one. And so that has been framed to me. And sometimes it's like, yeah, there are going to be people that have this interesting spot on the slate, slate or a spot I think has ceiling and upside, but I just can't get to it if I'm going to make my two best lineups, which right now I feel like is what I can devote my attention to. So I think that's just a good reminder as well. It's like, don't pull yourself in too many directions.
1: Right, we're gonna we're gonna have they're gonna be good plays that we don't have. If we try to have all of them, we're never gonna make money because we don't concentrate our bets enough. So we just have to think about where we wanna be. And I think that you know, building two to five rosters, one roster, whatever it is, it is so valuable from just like a training standpoint because it does force you to say, okay, I can't play everybody, but who do I want to play on these rosters? And also, you know, one of the one of the biggest mistakes you can make on that is like, okay, well, here's the plays I feel like I have to play. And you can say, okay, I'm going to three rosters and I I want to avoid Jamal Williams because of the strategy angle, but I also want to get him in case he hits. And I want to avoid Khalil Herbert this week because of everybody's going to be on him, but I also want to get him on one roster in case he hits. And so you end up still just like playing alongside the field because you treat these extra rosters as like ways to get these pieces that you don't really like, but you're scared to miss out on. And you just have to have that willingness to say, it's okay to finish last place because that's the same as finishing, you know, in the, in the 75th percentile in this contest, you don't get any money, any more money for first percentile versus 75th percentile in tournaments. It's all $0 outside of that top 20% of the field. So, you know, just be free to kind of take some shots and do some different things and attack first place.
0: And last week was a good example too, of when the pricing is so tight and there's so little value, you go and look at like all these top high end plays specifically at running back. You're like, Jonathan Taylor looks like a great GPP play. Christian McCaffrey does Devante Adams. All of these guys look like great plays. It's like, there simply is not enough money in the salary cap to get in all these good plays. Like you can maybe get one of them in on your roster. And so even that just simple thing is like, you can't play all of these great plays um, when salary is so tight and there isn't a lot of value.
1: And you don't have to, you don't have to pretend like they're bad plays either. You you're aware that they can hit that's in their range of outcomes and, where it's a math game, it's a strategy game. So if we take the math and strategy and we apply it correctly, we just know that we're, every week that you're putting in a roster that would make money over time, every week you're putting in a roster that would make money if we played out the slate over and over again, you're doing the right thing. And so, you know, one of the examples I'll use is two weeks ago, you literally couldn't have won that slate without Miami and Baltimore on the small sample size of one week. But if we played out that slate a hundred times, there were other paths that you would have been able to not win that slate without, right? There were, we could have played out that, that slate a hundred times and Miami Baltimore would have failed some games and other spots would have hit. And so you just recognize it's not about getting the exact right spot on that exact week. It's about putting yourself in position, always putting yourself in position so that if we kept playing out that slate, you're putting together a profitable roster. And if you keep doing that, that profit keeps coming over time.
0: Yeah, and we've been talking about some of this idea of, and there's a reason we, we're calling this show the, the block party is thinking through these specific blocks every week on one week season. JM posts uh, a few of these building blocks. I believe the, the number you do varies based on on the slate and what what you like. But just for people who are new here, um, let them know about kind of this idea of the building blocks. We're obviously going to go through one of them here, but the rest of them they can find in the scroll With a one-week season membership but uh how do you think through this concept of blocks
1: right so and typically we have so far this season we've had five this week we might only have three that's what i'm finding so far but it's kind of this what is a foundational starting point that you can use for your roster ideally that gives you a lot of upside and that sets your roster apart so it might be a high-owned player on one of these builds, but we're less concerned with individual ownership than combinatorial ownership. And so I think a couple of weeks ago, it was like week two, maybe we talked about Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey and they were playing each other. And yeah. And the point was they weren't even correlated, but it's just that most people, if they Christian McCaffrey was going to have ownership, Saquon was going to have ownership, but most people wouldn't have them together. They were both expensive. They were playing against each other. So your 20% Saquon ownership and 20% Christian McCaffrey ownership, if they both hit, it really becomes like 3% ownership because only 3% of the field has both of these guys on a roster together. And so that's one of the ways we want to think about this is how we can like kind of lower our combinatorial ownership. And sometimes it is low-owned plays. The, the block we're going to talk about today is going to be largely low-owned plays. Other times it's, it's popular plays, right? It's Jalen Hurts, but not many people are pairing him correctly repairing pairing him with these pass catchers. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's finding ways that's like, okay, here's a sharp starting point. And as we often say, guessing nine, like a, uh, if you had a nine combo lock and you're trying to guess it would take infinitely longer than trying to guess a five combo lock or a six combo lock. And so if we can find spots where we bet on one thing to get multiple spots, right, then we're going to significantly increase our expected value over time. So that's another value of these building blocks is it allows us to bet on one particular game flow or one particular way for a game to play out. And if we get that one thing, right, well now we're sitting pretty on three or four spots on our roster.
0: Yeah. And we are going to start building around one of those building blocks. You guys are lucky because JM is going to cough one of those up for free here on this show. But if you want those other ones, you are going to need to get a subscription to one week season. I do recommend getting the one week pass it's $19. And then you can get a further uh, 20% off with promo code Pete had multiple people who got the weekly and have loved what they saw and upgraded to a season long pass. So if you want the rest of those building blocks and just so much more there, I have made the scroll a regular read for me on Saturday nights, just going through all of the terrific research from JM and the rest of the OWS team, I highly recommend it. But Jam, why don't you kick us off right here with? Uh, you floated a couple by the, a couple of these by me, and, and one of them very much piqued my interest here.
1: Yeah. So this is a um, this is a strategy play. I'll say that off the top. Right. This is not a play where I'm predicting that this play is going to pop off this week. But what we recognize is the percentage chances of this play popping off are so much higher than ownership is going to give it credit for. And that play is Russell Wilson plus Jerry Judy plus Devontae Adams. So currently, and this could change, but currently Russell Wilson is coming in projected at sub 1% ownership. And that basically says that if he were to hit for the top of the slate once every 100 games, he's plus expected value. And obviously we know that he's going to hit for a big game more than once every hundred games. He threw for 340 yards in week one in this broken offense, right? If he throws for 340 and three touchdowns, he's sitting at close to 30 points. And if Jerry Judy picks up, you know, like seven for 140 and a touchdown, which is a very Tyler Lockett-esque line, he's sitting at 30 points. And if Devontae Adams comes out and has a typical Devontae Adams game, he's probably sitting at 30 to 35 points. And all of a sudden you're sitting on 95 points from what is it? 20.5 K in salary. Uh, And that very clearly can happen. And there's upside from there. We're just talking about if Russ throws for three touchdown passes. So the, let's be clear. The Broncos offense has looked bad this season and it's tough to get a sense of this team because Russell Wilson is so infinitely optimistic so (laughs) all he says in every press conference is he's so excited oh man we're so close we're so close on so many things and with the way our defense is playing once our offense puts it together we're going to be unstoppable i truly believe that i keep telling the guys that and you know i i we just missed a couple deep shots with judy last week and blah blah blah, right so you're just like oh well this, this team's close then you got nathaniel hackett who's literally like playing for the fourth quarter in a Pete Carroll-esque fashion where he's like, all right, let's tone it down. Let's just run the ball. Let's not be aggressive. Let's not do anything smart until deep into the game. So it might actually take Devonte Adams hitting in this spot for this game to take off, right? Because then if Devontae Adams is hitting, it's pushing the Broncos to be a little bit more aggressive. Now, what's interesting about Devontae Adams is uh, Blender HD over at Grinders. He's a really great game theory analyst. And we, we were talking on a podcast last year and Blender was saying anytime that people are scared of a cornerback versus wide receiver matchup, he's like, I immediately want to play that wide receiver <laughs> because people overvalue their ability to predict things. What I also like about this spot is Patrick Sertan is really good and is probably going to match up with Devontae Adams. But you know who else is really good? Devontae Adams. And there's a chance that the Broncos say, hey, look, we think that Sertan can handle Devontae one-on-one. We don't need to give him help, at least not on every play. And so we can have a situation where you've got a second year, like a really good second year cornerback versus like potentially the top wide receiver in the league. Devontae Adams might be able to win that matchup more often than people will be expecting. Furthermore, we're just assuming that the Broncos were three weeks into a totally new regime. We're just assuming that the Broncos are going to continue to play offense the same way they've been playing it so far. Whereas realistically we could easily see them shift their approach as the season keeps moving along. So, and then finally, you know, Sutton is probably going to be over 10% owned this week. Judy's probably going to be under four or 5%. owned. we've seen Sutton hitting. And so people, you know, we're three weeks in three weeks sample size and people are like, well, Sutton's the guy. But after week one, it was Judy who had the big game and people were, people were like, okay, Judy is the guy that we want on this offense. Judy got hurt week two, he had a bad game week three and now everybody's off of him. So with this starting point, what's interesting about this roster is A, genuinely could vault you to first place, right? Nobody would argue that this block is incapable of of putting up 90 plus points. It very clearly can. The chances of it are lower than some other spots, but not as low as ownership is going to assume. And then on top of that, the individual ownership is so low that we know the combinatorial ownership is infinitesimal on this block, which means we can kind of do whatever we want on the rest of this roster. Because we've spent 20K in salary, we've spent 41% of our salary cap on this block. And we're betting on this block vaulting us up quite a bit. Like we're betting on this block, getting us 90 plus points, which means if it does, I mean, we're already so far ahead of the field on that 20.5K in salary spent and can kind of play the players that we like without worrying too much about ownership. If we can find one or two additional leverage spots, that would be great. But in terms of like additional strategy, there's not a, a ton that we have to do from this point forward on a roster like this.
0: Yeah, uh, I love this one. I have multiple thoughts. The, uh, the chat- Are you on mute? It... I shouldn't be. I can hear I you. I can't okay. hear you. Chat, can you hear me? Or did something happen? Uh, I think I should be good. Chat, let me know if you can hear me or not. Um, shout out to Noel Fan here. I'm going to work hard to get a, a round number with one of your tips. I know I didn't earn the full 20, but I appreciate the 1999. Um, Nick says, okay, people can hear me. I think it's you, J.M.,
1: I got you now. I, I t- turn off the Bluetooth, so you're out. You're out loud on my end now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Exactly. He muted me. Um, but yeah, I I think this one's really interesting, and I was um, this game in general. It kind of goes back to that idea of we still have such a small sample size, right? Like every bone in my body wants to say the Broncos are dust, Nathaniel Haggett's bad, Russell Wilson's regress. You want to say, oh, the Raiders are broken. They're 0-3, they're a disappointment. But it's also, what if this is a really small sample size? We have a large enough sample size to know Devontae Adams is good. And we know the potential for this game, if these offenses get right, could soar well over the total. It also seems like this week, there isn't a huge opportunity cost on your missing games that have just a chance to score 60 65 points where there's so many games in this 45 to 50 range why not play one that's going to go like you said outside of sutton massively overlooked
1: yeah and if we look at the the bills defense is still second in dvoa overall we know that they're going if they this is that we'll do a very short version of this but you don't need extreme talent to take away downfield passing you need good communication to take away downfield passing and so even last week when when the bills had their entire secondary injured they were basically able to say okay well now let's just we're not going to let them beat us downfield let's force them to work underneath and run the ball and we should see something similar this week we you know we know that the bills don't blitz we know that they play zo- a lot of zone defense which kind of limits Lamar Jackson's rushing upside and so the chances of that game becoming like a true barn burner, like a 70, 80 point combined score are lower than we would see for these teams in some other spots. And then, you know, that we often, we often say that over-unders don't tell the whole story, right? Uh, There are some games with an over-under 47, that can have a broad distribution on either side of that total where yeah, 50% of the time it's going to be under, 50% of the time over, but like a decent chunk of these overs could be 60-plus points. Well, 47 points on Detroit and Atlanta, where both of these teams are bottom five and pass rate over expectation, both of these teams have bottom-tier run defenses, it, it gets to that 47-plus mark 50% of the time, but how often does it get to like 60-plus points, right? Not very often. And so, yeah, like you said, we just don't have a lot of these games – where it's like, oh, this game could go nuclear. And again, Seattle with Geno Smith and, and with no Amon Ross St. Brown and, and no DeAndre Swift, Right, it's hard to find one of these spots where one of these games could just go truly nuclear. And it would take the Jags and probably the Jags and Eagles, who are both really good offenses. I think the Eagles are a better offense than the Jags. And both defenses, though, are, are top six in defensive DVOA so far. I think that the Jags, it might be a little bit of a mirage, right? Like they may not be a top six defense. Maybe they're top 10, top 12. But the the ability for that game environment to go off requires them beating much tougher matchups. And so in a spot like that, it's similar to what we had in week two, where a lot of games just weren't exploding. And so if you get the one game that does, you're so far ahead of the field. And again, the the – the average result for Broncos Raiders is that this game disappoints. The average result for this stack is that it doesn't win you a tournament. But when you compare it to ownership on this stack, this becomes just massively plus EV. So this is almost like one of the reasons why I plan to go multiple rosters this week is because I want to get this on one roster. I also messed around with a Russ Sutton Judy Uh, plus a bring back stack. You know, like this is just an interesting game in that if the Broncos put it together this week, I want to be there when it happens.
0: Yeah, and Doom even mentioning love attacking this game. Curious about a block with uh, Wilson with Javante. Yeah, because when I look at it, I mean, Darren Waller looks really interesting to me. I don't know if Josh Jacobs is going to get steam, but he like as a price per dollar at at 5,500, he looks interesting to me. So yeah, I think this is a game that you should be paying attention to, I do think the next decision point for this roster is figuring out what we're going to do at running back. I know last week when I was building, it was like, I just wanted any excuse to play a running back. It was like, Oh, I have a little correlation here. Oh, this is a cheap guy. It's like, it feels so gross clicking the button on running backs these days. I guess the first thing is what do we, the elephant in the room, Jamal Williams, does he find his way into this lineup? Do you want to go another direction? How are you thinking about it?
1: let's stay off of Jamal Williams on this one just because w- what we've talked about so far I mean we don't again we don't have to be super strategic from here but if we also don't think his projection is significantly higher than other players around him, then I don't see the need to go there so some of the running backs, i you know I really like saquon this week although we're looking at a bad game environment and and the chances of him burying you are low and then if we get below that price point, you know I like, Cordero Patterson. I like A.J. Dillon. I like Rashad Penny. I like, I even like Ramondre Stevenson this week, right? There's different places that we can go at running back um, and still kind of like get players that we really like that are just different from what the field is going to have. So I, running back is going to kind of dictate where we go next on this roster in terms of what salary we have. So what you do you think? Do you want to pay I mean, Jonathan Taylor's attractive this week, right? People probably won't be on him after he's disappointed. He's still priced up. So do we want to go Saquon or JT and then down on the second guy. We want to go down on two guys and have some salary left over for pass catchers. What do you want to do here?
0: Well, how about this? Cause one thing I've learned from you is sometimes if you start jamming in the high price guys, you start to maybe have to compromise on the low end. You, one thing you do each week is this idea of a bottom up build where you cap your salary cap and then start, you know, with some of the best value plays to make sure we are getting in value that we like. I assume if we're going Jonathan Taylor, we're going to have to find a couple value plays we really like here. So do you have a, a value play right now that you think opens us up for that?
1: No, I, this is an ugly <laughs> week for value. I think George Pickens yeah. is interesting from a ceiling perspective. He's 10th in the NFL and average depth of targets Saw eight targets last week. The Steelers have run, the Steelers have had the ball for 24 minutes and 15 seconds per game this season. And they're playing the Jets who are also under 30 minutes. The Steelers are playing fast, They've still run 58 plays per game, which NFL averages like around 61, 62, 65 plays per game. So they can actually get 70, 71, 72 plays this week. So George Pickens is a cheap guy that I, I would be fine playing. But if we can avoid just like forcing in a salary saver, then I think that we're putting ourselves in better position on a week like this. So why don't we go to kind of like Cordero Patterson and below running backs. It doesn't have to be CPAT, but like guys in that price range. And then we can, kind of see what else we have. And if we want to, if we have some salary left over, we can go up, but we don't have to from there.
0: Yeah. Um, You mentioned AJ Dillon earlier. He looked good to me in that range. I was starting to give uh, a little bit of a look to Antonio Gibson. I had been uh, talking to Dwayne McFarland over at Fantasy Life. He likes this game. I was reading the uh, NFL Edge on OWS, and I believe it was yeah. That really likes this game. So yeah, Gibson was interesting to me. What, what about uh Gibson and Dylan? Anything, anything? I don't there know if I can, you? I don't know
1: if I can get, I'm not on Washington players this week. I mean, I yeah. think Dallas defense is so good. And, uh, I really like the idea of paying 3,500 for the Dallas defense when everybody else is paying 3,100 for the giants. Like yeah, who doesn't want Micah Parsons against Carson Wentz when people, when people want the giants defense for 400 less, um, I'll let uh, I'll let you keep Antonio Gibson on your builds. Uh, and you and Hilo can have all the all the Antonio <laughs> Gibson there. Uh, we could throw we could throw uh AJ Dillon on and then um yeah, I mean we could we could go CPAT, we could go Rashad Penny, we could go uh I mean we could go Khalil Herbert on this roster if we wanted, but yeah, there's a lot of different places that we could go uh, from this point.
0: Yeah, let's uh let's 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 put Khalil Herbert in. For right now. Um, David Montgomery officially ruled out just now, so he's definitely going to catch some ownership steam. But I think, again, the whole point of this is to go down a certain path for how pieces fit together. I think we just tossed out a lot of names. Exactly, yeah. You can mix and match these as you want, but this just gives us a, a nice starting point here of two mid-range running backs. Exactly.
1: And I mean, I mean we could pick any player, literally. Like, this is not a, this is not a picks show. It's more about how we put together a roster and think through it. Um, I want to throw the Dallas defense on here because I do think that they're an edge this week. You know, if there were a, if there were like a 22 or 2300 defense that we really loved and that were low, low priced, I mean, low owned, then I would be more willing to go there. But the fact that the range people are looking at is like 27 to 3,100. I'm willing to eat that extra salary just for the upside at, at low ownership on the Dallas defense. Um, and then we know that we've got, you know, we, we're probably either going, well, we're not going Darren Waller, a tight end on this one, right? And so, yeah, tight end where we're going to kind of figure out next what salary we have to play with in our last couple positions. Uh, the tight end position gives us some popular guys in like this 3,700 to 42, 4,500 range. Even I like Dallas Goddard as a guy who people are overlooking, and he still can pop for a big game somewhere in here. I like Pat Friermuth's kind of same thing as Pickens. I like Hawkinson, as we talked about. He should get six to eight targets in that role. And then obviously, we get, if we wanted, we can go Njoku at, at chalk just because we can play chalk on this roster at this point if we want. We could also play Harrison Bryant, who's 2,900 and is direct leverage off Njoku, and four targets, four targets the first two games. Obviously, he's a part-time player, but typically like 50-plus percent of the snaps. So there's a lot of different directions we could go at tight end.
0: Yeah, the names that stood out to me the most there would be that that Goddard and Friarmouth range. Uh, both, I think, project similarly. It looks like Goddard even going to be less popular than Friarmouth just because he's 300 more. Why don't we toss Goddard in? Because that is one of those things I would love to have access to some points in this game because um, you, of course, can certainly see. I think you can make cases both directions just because both of their defenses are good, but you could also see it going the other way, and I would love have access to some Eagles points.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a great way to look at a slate like this is, can we get some Eagles exposure? Can we get some bills exposure? Can we get some exposure to these other games? Because we don't really expect the Eagles offense to fail. So let's try to get the player who might be able to hit from this offense. Um, So we're in a weird salary range here where there's really nobody under 5k we feel great about. So if we had infinite time, I would kind of poke around at different running back combos. But what I would probably do here is rather than trying to get two guys who are both in like this 4,800 range, I would go down to like the George Pickens and just say, it's like, it's like when Donovan Peoples-Jones went, what was it, like uh, three catches for 101 yards and two touchdowns last year. Like if that guy misses, you can still win a tournament. But if he hits for his ceiling, now that's bonus points. It's like when your defense gets you 20 points. Uh, and on a week like this, you know, if you find this cheaper guy, if everybody's on Zay Jones at 4,200 and, and Pickens outscores him by 10, 15 points, you're sitting pretty. And then we can see what salary we have left to play with for like another elite type player.
0: Um, if you're looking for the wide receiver chalk this week, look no further than the chat screaming David Sills. A uh, lot, Lots of people excited about David Sills uh, opening up with the top three Giants pass catchers this week being Richie James, David Sills, and Kenny Galladay. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm intrigued by the Pickens stuff. This has been the year of the rookie. I'm also intrigued by Traylon Burks, although much more expensive than Pickens. But there are definitely scenarios where Pickens has had the Dobbs breakout or has had the Chris Olave breakout. Like he has that skill set and talent, and uh, being being ahead on it when no one else is going to play it is uh, seems like a fun way to to pay down to me.
1: Yeah. And if you put in uh sales, you have 6,800 left over and you've got a guy who probably gets you three catches for 30 yards, you know, and maybe he scores a touchdown. He's a really nice value this week. I think that this is, you know, values ugly this week, right? So be willing to kind of go somewhere that you feel good about. Um, I like the upside on pickings and I'd rather in a tournament, I'd rather have the guy who could get me zero or 25 than the guy who can get me like six to 12. Right. But if Pickens ends up getting you the zero, you're going to be happy that David Sills got you the twelve because that's a big difference right there. Six um, K, so yeah. And this gives us. I just
0: going to put Antonio Gibson in. We could just shut it down. We can put in
1: Antonio Gibson <laughs> against the Dallas defense. Um, I think that you know another thing here too is I think Deontay Johnson is going to be really popular this week, and so he is. we yeah. get some leverage off of him with Pickens. Deontay Johnson, I think, is second in the NFL in total air yards, and Steelers going to have some extra plays this week. They're playing the Jets, so. I can see it. You know, I'm I'm not against that play, but at high ownership, I really like that we get some leverage off him with Pickens. Uh Tyler Lockett is obviously interesting. It's another game environment where uh, we get some exposure. Bren Cooks, I've had him on a couple of my practice builds. Um, either of those guys are guys that I'd feel comfortable with on this roster in this range.
0: I'm curious, how do you think, just to, as a thought experiment, Devonta Smith sitting down here, we talk about getting exposure to the Eagles. He does fit. Is it just too impossible to tell yourself a story where you play Goddard and Devonta Smith without Hurts and that works out for you? Or would you ever consider those two as like a building block on a roster like this where it would fit?
1: I always am willing to play around with it and like ask the questions on it just because so few people will. And so if it makes sense, then it gives you the edge. With Russell Wilson only 1,500 less than Jalen Hurts, it's a little bit harder to see like... Jalen hurts not outperforming Russ, but still supporting Goddard and Devonta Smith for what would need to be, you know, 45 to 50 points combined between the two of them. Uh, so I don't think I would go for it this week, but if I had like a cheaper quarterback, then I, then that's a spot where I might be a little bit more willing to do it. Um, but yeah, I think that we're closing off our paths to first place by doing that on this roster.
0: The only other interesting name here is I kind of look at these pieces Similar to kind of the leverage George Pickens might offer on Deontay Johnson and getting access to another nice game on the slate would be the Rashad Bateman play. We mentioned how Mark Andrews is probably going to be the most popular tight end on the slate. I think Bateman will probably be the fourth or fifth most popular player from that game when you factor in the quarterbacks and digs and Andrews. So that would be another one too of like, can we pick off the points from these other two spots and then game stack the under the radar game?
1: Yeah. And so the way I would look at this on this roster is a couple things. We don't need another strategy edge as in we're already set up from a strategic standpoint. So I'd be picking like favorite play, but you could Mm -hmm. call Bateman a favorite play just in terms of great game environment and collect the points. So you could you could describe this one way and say, well, the Bills have been literally the toughest defense against wide receivers for, for what, like four or five years running. But on the flip side, we still expect the, the Ravens to figure out a way to score three, four, maybe even five touchdowns in this game if everything comes together, and Bateman would be involved in that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fine with that play. Like you said, it's a way to collect points from that game. We end up getting two of the other top game environments here. Uh, so, yeah, we could throw Bateman on. We could throw uh, Lockett on. We could throw Cooks on any of those I'm fine with on, on this roster.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously there's an infinite amount of pass. Another thing that I might explore if I was messing around with this build would be, hey, if we are, as DFS Czar points out, maybe playing for a Jet Stealer shootout, I think Garrett Wilson and in both Elijah Moore aren't going to be super popular. We could, again, pick our favorite there. And then maybe you come up, uh, we have some more money at running back to come up for. That might be another kind of angle that I would maybe mess with.
1: Yeah, and I think an interesting thing in there is It's easy to underestimate how awful Zach Wilson was last year, but it's also easy to overestimate our knowledge of what Zach Wilson will look like this year. So I, you know, if we think like a coach, I expect the jets to come out and be less pass heavy this week because we have Zach Wilson, who's hasn't had practice time with these guys for several weeks. And so, and then the easiest way to attack the Steelers is on the ground. What would you do if you're the head coach? Are you going to say, all right, Zach Wilson, go gunsling it. Or would you say, all right, let's get Brees Hall and Michael Carter a little bit more involved on the ground here and kind of build from there. So that's how I'm looking at this game. But at the same time, this is one where I've, I've looked at this and been like, you know, what could win the Millie this week is Zach Wilson plus Garrett Wilson plus Elijah Moore, because people aren't going to be on it. People are going to say Zach Wilson sucks. Well, maybe Zach Wilson took the offseason got a lot better and is a lot more comfortable this year and just looks a lot better than we expect this season. That happens with different players every year. So yeah, I don't mind the idea of attacking that and the um the upside you get is tremendous with uh with either of these wide receivers if things come together
0: yeah and this would be one of those spots too where i'm looking at all right say if you do use you know elijah Moore down here can you get up to anything interesting at running back i mean you're kind of just missing this kind of elite tier here uh otherwise you are kind of in that range we probably wouldn't do javante on this build necessarily but you mentioned patterson earlier who's definitely interested yeah
1: and this is the thing like you keep ignoring me saying Cordero Patterson. And that's the thing with Cordero Patterson, right? Like he is always going to be a five to 7% owned because nobody wants to play him. And what is Arthur Smith going to do in this game? Like he's going to give Patterson 18 to 22 touches once again. Like it just makes sense this week for Patterson to see touches once again.
0: And it's so funny you say that because this happened last year and it's been playing out this year too. And our friends at run the Sims have been on this. I swear to God, every single week I run Justin Sims on the main slate and look at this. I I kid you not. I will pull this up right now. This is run the Sims their top guy right behind Jonathan Taylor Patterson showing up. In the optimal lineup almost 19% of the time. And I swear every week he's up there. Every week he shoves it down by throw. Every week I don't feel like playing him. And it's it's just Patterson week all the time.
1: So, are we doing it? Are we putting Patterson yeah, on here?
0: Yeah, we're we're going back. We're going back and put Patterson on. We are finally gonna rectify. I, Lord knows I'm not gonna play him on Sunday, so might as well get him
1: <laughs> on Friday. <laughs> on our, our fake roster, this is where we'll get our Patterson exposure.
0: exactly exactly so as always uh you know don't dupe us or dupe us some people are into that uh but uh always fun talking through this like i said if you want the rest of JM's building box for this slate. You are going to have to subscribe to one week season. Promo code Pete gets you 20% off. I recommend the weekly pass, just get your feet wet. I have a feeling you will like what you see. Deposit Kingdom tournament, six more spots left. So this will be filling in the next few minutes. That link is in the Deposit Kingdom Discord. I also recommend getting subscribed to the Fantasy Life newsletter. JM had his week four strategy article come out today in there. He wrote a bit about that Cleveland and Atlanta game that we didn't dive into a ton here so I recommend checking out the newsletter for some good angles there. JM anything I am missing on your end?
1: No, I uh as always it's a blast to do this. This is uh my my favorite part of the week is hanging out with you on here. So uh next week no outfit, but uh next week we'll we'll keep talking about good NFL stuff, DFS strategy. So yeah, look forward to seeing you guys back here next week. Hopefully see you on the site, see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend.
0: Yep. Good luck guys. I will be back as always Sunday AM at 10 30 for my final cram. I'm going to have some more calluses on my finger on Sunday. I'm going to be messing around with the puzzle pieces more on Saturday. I thought that gonna Sunday, pickleball,
1: Friday. pickleball calluses.
0: Oh, there's no pickleball calluses here. Don't trigger me, JF. Don't trigger me with that tennis derivative. I'm going to get out bullshit. and play some
1: pickleball with my parents.
0: <laughs> There you go. That's allowed. If you're over seventy, you're allowed to play. Uh, that that video is for YouTube members. You can become a, a Club VIP or the Handbuilders in Opto Bros. The latter of which we have our private channel in the Discord. I also will give you access to that if you sign up for one week season and use promo code Pete. Just shoot me a DM on Discord with your confirmation screenshot and I'll get you hooked up in there. Lots of good content going on in there, specifically for the showdown slate as well, if that's your thing. So I appreciate you guys all hanging out. Good luck this weekend. We'll see you atop the leaderboards.